Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm not sure how many of you are aware of the, uh, the scripture you just heard is probably the most world-altering passage in our holy scriptures, which seems like a weird thing to say. It's not a competition. I don't mean to set it up like that. And I know most people think, well, John 3.16 or, uh, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. You know, these are things that are probably more in, in our cultural vernacular. But I have to tell you that this, this first chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Rome was a real game changer. And frequently throughout history, a lot of the big um, movements of Christian thought have Romans chapter 1 to thank for it. This is going to start forming the, uh, the cornerstone of everything that, that Martin Luther didn't discover, but I guess in a way when we want to tie us all together, uh, remembered. Uh, Paul writing it in the first place is, is truly, it's a game changer. Uh, 221 years later in, in Aldersgate, England, another failed Church of England missionary by the name of John Wesley is going to hear this and his heart is going to be strangely warmed. And that is going to change the way many of us in the West understand our faith. Actually, if you'll indulge me, show of hands, how many people here would, would, would speak of their faith as, as somewhat of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Oh, wow. Uh, how many of you would, would uh, again, show of hands, how many of you would believe that, that God actually knows you by name? Good. Uh, how many believe that God is actually active daily in the, uh, in the events of the world, even though we don't always necessarily understand? But, okay. How many of you are aware that most of what you know about God is wrong? Oh, wh- okay. Way less hands. Good. Now you know how the Catholics felt when Martin Luther started doing what he did. No one wants to be told they're wrong in this area because it is incredibly important. It is incredibly personal. And that is something for us to, to recognize that there is, a, there is division. And, and as I've been asked to sort of talk about why the Reformation matters today, as a historian, as someone who loves the stories of humanity, I'm, I'm, I'm swept away, uh, unaware unable to communicate the, um, uh, the gravity of thinking what was taking place on our planet 500 years ago today. I mean, so much of history is imagination. And I just, I just love indulging the fact that he's <sighs> dropping sand on the last, and thanks James, those things look amazing. And if you get a chance, look at, uh, we literally stuck his 95 theses to the door of, of the chapel here. I just love the idea that this, this guy with no concept of what is about to transpire, of what his life is about to become, he's just putting sand on the last of the scrolls and walking through the mud, his little robe, little tattered and stuff like that, nothing fancy. And he's got, you know, a, a hammer and a nail and, and he's just going to put it up there because that's what you do. It, it, it's the Facebook wall of his era. Like you're just putting up a little notice and saying like, okay, anybody who wants to talk, or anybody who's interested and can't make it, write a letter and we'll, we'll have this debate because I think there's a couple things we might be getting wrong or we at least need to question and ask. I mean, the most innocuous of academic debates triggered this. The poor guy, any of us who are faculty in this room know, like, can you imagine if you just, hey, what about this? And then that happened, right? Like, oh, oh, 
Bye tenure, <laughs> bye, bye career, bye. Oh, I'm sure glad I blew half my life studying this stuff. And I guess that provides a segue as good as any to sort of talk about, did I get it? No, no, it's killing anyway. It, it, it's a good segue to talk about maybe what it is that we do at Tyndale here and what it is that uh, is somewhat incumbent upon you. No, not incumbent upon you. Just maybe to be aware of. All the classes you're taking, uh, undergrads, you at the UC, you at the seminary, uh, whatever classes you're taking, whatever um, contribution you make to this community, whatever contribution this community makes to your life, at, at, at the heart and all the different motivations and all the different wonderful uh, faculty that uh, I get to call colleague and increasingly more so friends and the wonderful spirit that's in this place is um, we're, we're giving you language. We're giving you constructs and worldviews to help you understand and, and, and perpetuate and communicate th this faith journey, this thing that you would call this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're giving you language and, and certain sets of skills to hopefully uh, be part of a community, develop this. And, and I guess the goal being to communicate this to others who maybe aren't aware uh, of the divinity, aren't aware of the message of Jesus, all, all these different motivations. And here's the caution. One of, one of the best places to hide from God is in your faith. The church is a really good place to hide from God. It's great. It's part of the motivation of what Martin Luther did. And that's why this Romans chapter one is so important. And we're going to come back to it because it, it, it's an awkward English word. But I, why the Reformation matters today is because Martin Luther remembered something that is absolutely central and, and we do forget and need to be reminded all the time. You've been righteous. Enrighteous. It's a very awkward word. And I'll come back and maybe give a better way of explaining it in a couple of minutes. But that is... That is what, why the Reformation matters. I mean, pause for a second. Look at this place. Like, just take a second and look around. Many of you have been in this chapel a lot of time. A lot of time. This is why I don't teach English. But look what humans can do. Right? Like, the intricate details. Look what we are capable of. There's a lot to be proud of. There's a lot to do. And, and as I get to know a few more of you and stuff like that, the stories of what it is, the, the, uh, the, the things that you're building in your own life uh, stagger me, move and inspire others. And as we get language and skill sets, it becomes really, really easy to explain uh, why we do what we do. But I'm going to tell you this right now. And as we're listening to the song, and thank you for, for the mighty fortresses our God, like that just hammered this home again, what Martin Luther is doing. You understand, and I hope you understand, that Martin Luther didn't get to where he was with his mind. He had an encounter. And all of our reformers, from Martin Luther to Zwingli to John Calvin, and this gets brushed past John Calvin too much, you think of their minds, you think of the systematizing, and somehow those of us in the West have inherited this, this need to properly communicate our faith. And the arrogance and, and the division that comes in is when the way we properly articulate our faith becomes the way to properly articulate your faith. And you're wrong. Shame on us. 
This has to be and our only strength. Like Martin Luther said, our only strength is the fact that Christ must win this. This faith thing has to be a mystical encounter. And here's the rub, and here's the rub when you're in the West. These mystical encounters, these genuine face-to-faces, prosopon at prosopon, for any of you studying Greek, just want to throw that in there. Keep with your Greek. If you let it go, it goes forever. So if you're studying it, stick with it. These genuine face-to-face encounters come through crises. My prayer, and this will keep a lot of you out of my office, my prayer for you is that your life falls apart more than once. It has to, and I'm not kidding. We have deluded ourselves into thinking that if we do this, God will bless it, or if we think this, this is the right way to think, and when all of that goes sideways, ah. So my brothers and sisters in the faith that maybe have spun around the sun more times than some of the other ones here, you know of which I speak. Life, right? Brothers and sisters, it goes sideways on you. Amen? Oh, I don't want to hear anybody from the UC say that, unless you're over 40, because you don't know yet. That's not fair. That's, that's diminishing, and I apologize, because some young people have some real struggles. The nice thing about being a historian is that there are going to be many people in here who've had a good life, and for that I'm very thankful and very humbled, and, and, and I'm, I'm happy for you. And you don't, these words don't have to mean that much to you right now, and yes, you'll be getting to have lunch soon and all that sort of stuff, but I want them to be part somewhere, and my prayer is that they are in your mind somewhere, because somewhere along the line, it falls apart. And the thing that breaks my heart is I've walked with so many people through deep and legitimate and honest crises and not minimizing it, but that's when they lose faith and it breaks my heart because I'm like, you were about to see God. I pray, not for a crisis of faith, a crisis of circumstances that make your words meaningless even to yourself because in that moment you can be and see and experience literally live what Jesus went through when he sat in Gethsemane and said if there's any way that this cannot happen please do not make me do this what does he say next no seriously what does he say next What? Come on, Christians. (laughs) Yes. Scariest prayer in the world to actually mean. Scariest prayer in the world. I prayed it with actual integrity three times. I've said it thousands. Actual integrity of like, okay, you should probably throw up a little bit afterwards because it will, that's from A, excitement or B, terror. You can... understand and see through Paul's eyes when he says stuff like, I've been beaten to death, I've been stuck out in the ocean, I, I've been shipwrecked, I, I've had all these things happen to me, I, I, you know, I'm a tribe of Benjamin circumcised on the eighth day, all this sort of stuff, and he can literally and powerfully and authentically say, and I, can, I consider it all scatos, garbage, refuse, other words, compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. And I, Jamie Robertson, James Robertson, whatever, stand before you and say, for years I have studied. I know that book well. I know-ish the Greek-ish. 
it's a huge waste of time, really. Like somebody, they, they've already translated today, so it's not so much you can do. But I've read it cover to cover. That's true. Several times. I, I speak about this every single Sunday. Uh, many of my friends who aren't believers but are interested, we have these conversations usually two to three times a week. I study the history of it. I'm well versed. And then life happens. And well versed doesn't actually turns out, and despite all the evidence to the contrary, I do not love the sound of my own voice. What I love was a mystical vision I had of a battered, and this is mine, and this is, this is for you, this is for me, and I've read enough medieval mystical, and it tends to be women. Well done, ladies. You see things. That wasn't meant to be a joke. Well done, ladies. You see things. Um that the male of species does not or cannot, and it's valuable. And I had a vision of a bloodied and beaten Christ standing this far in front of me with his back to me and his arms back like this, protecting me from what I can only describe as the fiery darts of pain that are in this world, so that anything that actually did hit me did not hit me to harm me, but to remind me, and most importantly, I recognized for the first time in my life that I had built a temple and named it Grace. And if we know one thing about our God is he doesn't spend a ton of time in temples. And I saw and was humbled and empowered by the fact that I am not doing this. I am saved. And it's only a crisis that allows you to actually get into the headspace uh, of seeing that and realize that this, this word, this, this word saved, although it has so much baggage to it, attached to it, is basically the best word we have in English. And here's the other thing that Martin Luther figured out and what's up there is there's no thank you for that. You're not going to thank God enough with your little life. Do you understand that this whole thing is because of his love for you? This whole thing is his protection of you. You're not doing anything for him. You're not earning his favor. He can't help himself, and I mean that in the nicest way, because apparently he's giddy with love. Apparently somewhere it says that, that God actually is love. And so I stand on maybe not the most profound theology that's found in the scriptures, but there's evidence for this theology in the scriptures. From the minor prophets, uh, of course, naturally you're thinking of Zephaniah 3.17, right? Shame on you. I only start, no, yeah, no, don't start, everybody's starting to dig out. Of course I was. Or Google. Google. How old am I? The minor prophet Zephaniah talks about God singing over us. Our words are necessary. They help us articulate our experiences. They help us communicate who we are to those who we care about and around us. They help us frame and understand the world. And I'm not, we cannot get rid of them. We cannot undo them. Then we cannot function. What I want to remind you of is what, what Martin Luther remembered. What makes this story, our story, God's story, your story, good news, is that you are actually saved. And as Christians, we hold to this very simple truth that when we look at Jesus, we're not just looking at a good man, an ethical teacher, a mythical character, whatever the popular theories of our world are. 
when we look at Jesus, we see God. Amen? Ah. And then here's what Martin Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, Wesley, the Moravians, all sorts of people have done ever since, and now we need to be reminded of ourselves, is what makes this good news is that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. That's it. That's why this Reformation story matters. That's why this matters. And that is why you matter and you're known. Some of you will be counselors. Some of you will be pastors. Some of you will be doctors. Some of you will be electricians. Some of you will be ship captains. I don't know why that popped into my head. Is anybody interested in that? Is there a hand in the air? Okay, right on. Okay. I am now. Martin Luther had a shoemaker. This is one of those sort of hagiographical accounts. And as a historian, you always want to cite your source and I can't, but it feels nice. So I'm going to say it anyway. Martin Luther had this um, shoemaker approach him. And, and one of the other great gifts of the Reformation was the recognition that vocation does not mean you have to serve in the church. That a vocation, a calling can be any kind of profession. And the shoemaker said, how do I be a Christian shoemaker? And Martin Luther said, don't put little crosses in all your shoes. Just be good at making shoes. What you do, or not what you do, who pays you and why is not as important. It's not this, this higher calling to be in the church. It is a calling, but it's not necessarily a higher calling. And so we at Tyndale University College and Seminary will strive hard. And let me, let me tell you this, I'm, I'm, I'm new in these doors. There's a good spirit here. Uh, there's a good, <laughs> there's no way this doesn't sound like I'm sucking up, but I'm really not. <clears throat> there's people here who genuinely want to know God and are excited to communicate that with other people. But I'm going to tell you this. All the language, all the words, all the doctrine, all the experience, all the prayers, all the community doesn't count for much unless it's in your heart. And in the words of one very wise rabbi saying the same thing to his students about the Torah and the Ten Commandments, when asked, well, how do you get laws of stone into our heart? Said very simply, my dear child, your heart must break. I do pray that in your life, more than once, as many times as the good Lord knows you can handle, you come to the end of yourself. Because when you know, and I mean know, uh, I got nothing. Everything that happens is God. And that's so much better than anything you're gonna learn in a class. Martin Luther, in his tattered little robe, walking through the mud with his little scroll and his written in Latin, just thinking like, oh, this is going to be an interesting debate. You know, this is, we'll see who writes in and stuff like that. Because I, I, he had some legitimate criticisms. He had some comments. Chief among being, you know, if we can forgive people, we shouldn't charge them for that. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good comment. Just goes, knocks on the door, and unfurls it. 
And the myth goes, and this is what I'll wrap up with, when he's finally called to account before the Holy Roman Emperor and everything like that, and they say, they tell him to recant, and he says, here I stand, God help me, I can do no other. Whether or not he actually said that, probably not. It seems very poetic, but good for him, through chattering teeth, about to die. But it definitely forms the theme of his life. He was in a crisis of circumstance, and it bolstered his faith. And so that's why I titled this message, Smiling While Drowning. Because that is the real moment of God that trapped in the ocean, probably going to die in the dark sea, you can't help but smile. Because thank you, God, for my life. And when you meet God, the rest doesn't really matter. Okay, it's 12 o'clock. Everybody's hungry. I'm going to pray a benediction and I'm going to go send you out there to eat and break bread together. God bless you and thanks for the invitation. Let's, uh, let's close off. You are gracious beyond words. You are kind and merciful. I thank you for so many of your children that have spoken and done so many kindnesses to us that have, that have shaped this world, that have a desire to follow in your footsteps. But through it all, thank you that this is your story because we can't help but mess it up. And so thank you for reminding us that we're not messing it up, that it's yours that you have the power, you have the grace, you have the plan, but most importantly for us, you have love. So thank you for loving me, because I am a train wreck. And thank you for loving my brothers and sisters out here, and whatever they're going through right now, just make your face visible. If, if it's years down the road for some of them here, or years in the past, make these words count for something. In, in, in the economy of your kingdom. And just keep blessing these friends, these family members that in our hearts seek to serve you. Bless us as we go out. Reveal to us how protected we truly are and help us at some point throughout our day to have a sensation of how much you love us. We give you thanks and praise and glory and honor for your face does shine upon us to the glory of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peace be upon us. Praise to you. Amen. God bless and enjoy your Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday.